How I come not to have a last name is a question that is always more or less aggravation mixed up with it. I might have had one just as well as not if old Hank Walters hadn't been so all-fired, infernal bullheaded about things in general, and his wife Elmira a blame sight worse, and both of them ready to row at a minute's notice and stick to it forevermore. Hank, he was considerable of a lusher. One Saturday night, when he'd come home from the village in his usual fix, he stumbled over a basket that was settin' on his front steps. Then he got up and drawed back his foot unsteady to kick it plumb into kingdom come. Just then, he hearn Elmira openin' the door behind him, and he turned his head sudden. But the kick was already started into the air, and when he turns, he can't stop it. And so Hank gets twisted and falls down and steps on himself. That basket lets out a yowl. It's kittens, says Hank, still setting down and staring at that there basket. All of which you understand I'm a-telling you from hearsay, as the lawyers always asked you in court. Elmira, she sings out, kittens nothing, it's a baby. And she opens the basket and looks in, and it was me. Henry Walters, she says, picking me up and shaking me at him like I was a crime. Henry Walters, where did you get this here baby? She always calls him Henry when she is getting ready to give him fits. Hank, he scratches his head, for he's kind of confuddled and thinks maybe he really has brought this basket with him. He tries to think of all the places he has been that night, but he can't think of any place but Bill Nolan's saloon. So he says, Elmira, honest, I ain't had but one drink all day. And then he kind of rouses up a little bit and gets surprised and says, That's a baby you got there, Elmira. And then he says, dignified, So far as that's concerned, Elmira, where did you get that there baby she looks at him and sees he don't really know where i come from old hank mostly was truthful when liquored up for that matter and she knowed it for he couldn't think up no lies setting a general denial when intoxicated up to the gills elmira looks into the basket there was one of them long rubber tubes stringing out of a bottle that was in it and i'd been sucking that bottle when interrupted and there was nothing else inside that basket but a big thick shawl which has been wrapped all around me, and Elmira often wore it to meetin' afterward. She goes inside, and she looks at the bottle and me by the light, and old Hank, he comes stumbling in afterward and sits down in a chair and waits to get Hail Columbia for coming home in that shape so as he can row back again like they done every Saturday night. Blowed in the glass of the bottle was the name Daniel Dunn and Company. Anybody but them two old ignoramuses could have told right off that didn't have nothing to do with me, but was just the company that made that kind of bottles. But she reads it out loud three or four times, and then she says, His name is Daniel Dunn, she says. And Company, says Hank, feeling right quarrelsome. Company ain't no name, says she. Why, ain't it, I'd like to know, says Hank. I knowed a man once whose name was Farmer, and if Farmer's a name, why ain't a company a name, too? His name is Daniel Dunn, says Elmira, quiet-like, but not dodging around, neither. And company, says Hank. 
getting onto his feet like he always done when he seen trouble coming. When old Hank was full of liquor, he know just the ways to aggravate her the worst. She might have banged him one, same as usual, and got her own eye blacked also, same as usual, but then I lets out another big yowl, and she give me some milk. I guess the only reason they ever kept me at first was so they could quarrel about my name. They lived together a good many years and quarreled about everything else under the sun and was running out of subjects. New subject kind of briskened things up for a while. But finally, they went too far with it one time. I was about two years old then, and he was still calling me company, and her calling me done. This time he hits her a lick that lays her out and likes to kill her, and it gets him scared. But she gets around again after a while, and they both see it has went too far that time, and so they makes up. Elmira, I give in, says Hank. His name is Dunn. No, she says tender-like, you was right, Hank, his name is Company. So they pretty near got into another row over that. But they finally made it up between them. I didn't have no last name, and they just call me Danny. Which they both done faithful ever after as agreed. Old Hank, he was a blacksmith, and he used to lamb me considerable, him and his wife not having any kids of their own to lick. He lambed me when I was drunk, and he wailed me when I was sober. I never held it up again him much, neither, not for a good many years, because he got me used to it young, and I had never knowed something else. Hank's wife, Elmira, she used to lick him just about as often as he licked her, and boss him just as much, so he fell back on me. A man has just naturally got to have something to cuss around and boss, so as to keep himself from finding out he don't amount to nothing. Leastways, most men is like that. And Hank, he didn't amount to much, and kind of knowed it way down deep in his inmost gizzards. And it were a comfort to him to have me around. But there was one thing he never got no store by. And I got along now to where I hold that up again him more than any lickings he ever done. That was book learning. He never had none himself, and he was set again it. And he never made me get none, and if I ever asked him for any, he'd have whaled me for that. Hank's wife, Elmira, had married beneath her, and everybody in our town had come to see it, and used to sympathize with her about it when Hank wasn't around. She'd tell him, yes, it was so. Back in Elmira, New York, from where her father and mother come to our part of Illinois in the early days, her father had kept a hotel, and they were stylish kind of folks. When she was born, her mother was homesick for all that style and for York State ways, and so she named her Elmira. But when she married Hank, he had considerable land. His father had left it to him, but it was all swamp land, and so Hank's father, he hunted more than he farmed. And Hank and his brothers done the same when he was a boy. But Hank, he learnt a little blacksmithing when he was growing up, cause he liked to tinker around and show how stout he was. Then, when he married Elmira Appleton, he had to go to work practicing that profession regular, because he never learned nothing about farming. He'd sell 15 or 20 acres every now and then, and they'd be the high times till he'd spend it up, and maybe Elmira would get some new clothes. But when I was found on the doorstep, the land was all gone, and Hank was practicing regular, when not busy cussing out the fellows that bought the land. 
for some smart fellas had come along and bought up all that swamp land and drained it, and now it's worth seventy or eighty dollars an acre. Hank, he figured someone had cheated him. Which the Walterses could have dreamed then, too, only they'd rather hunt ducks and have fish fries than to dig ditches. All of which I hear in Elmira talking over with the neighbors more than once when I was growing up, and they all says, How sad it is you have came to this, Elmira. And then she'd kind of spunk up and say, Thanks to glory, she'd kept her pride. Well, there was worse worse places to live than there than that there that uh, there that uh, there little town, even if there wasn't no railroad within eight miles and only three hundred souls in the whole corporation, which Hank's shop and our house set in the edge of the woods just outside the corporation line, so the city marshal didn't have no authority to arrest him after he crossed it. There was one thing in that house I always admired when I was a kid, and that was a big cistern. Most people has their cisterns outside the house, and there is a tin pipe takes all the rainwater off the roof and scoops it into them. Alan worked the same, but our cistern was right in under our kitchen floor, and there was a trap door with leather hinges opened into it right by the kitchen stove. But that wasn't why I was so proud of it. It was because that cistern was just plumb full of fish. Bullheads and red horse and sunfish and other kinds. Hank's father had built that cistern. And one time he brung home some live fish in a bucket and dumped them there. And they growed. And they multiplied in there and refurnished the earth. So that cistern had got to be a family custom, which was kept up in that family for a habit. It was great comfort to Hank, for all them Walterses, all them Walterses was great fish eaters, though it never went to brains. We fed them now and then, and throwed back in the little ones till they was growed, and kept the dead ones picked out as soon as we smelled anything wrong, and it never hurt the water none, and when I was a kid... I wouldn't have took anything for living in a house like that. Once, when I was a kid, about six years old, Hank came home from the barroom. He got chasing Elmira's cat because he says it was making faces at him. The cistern door was open, and Hank fell in. Elmira was over to town, and I was scared. She had always told me not to fool around there none when I was a little kid, for if I fell in there, I'd be a corpse quicker than scat. So when Hank fell in, and I heard him splash, being only a little fella and awful scared because Elmira had always made it so strong, I had no sort of unbelief but what Hank was a corpse already. So I slams the trapdoor shut over that there cistern without looking in, for I hearin' Hank flopping around down there, I hadn't never heard a corpse flop before, and I didn't know but what it might be somehow injurious to me, and I wasn't going to take no chances. So I went out and played in the front yard, and waited for Elmira, but I couldn't seem to get my mind settled on playing I was a horse, nor nothing. I kept thinking maybe Hank's corpse is just going to come flopping out of that cistern and whale me some unusual way. I had never been licked by a corpse and didn't rightly know just what one is anyhow, being young and comparative innocent. So I sneaks back in and sets all the flat irons in the house on top of the cistern lid. 
I hear some flopping and splashing and spluttering, like Hank's corpse is trying to jump up and is falling back into the water, and I hear Hank's voice and got scared of yet. And when Elmira come along down the road, she seen me by the gate a-crying and asked me why. Hank is a corpse, says I, blubbering. A corpse, says Elmira, dropping her coffee, which she was carrying home from the general store and post office. Danny, what do you mean? I seen I was to blame somehow, and I wished then I hadn't said nothing about Hank being a corpse. And I made up my mind I wouldn't say nothing more. So when she grabs hold of me and asks me again what did I mean, I blubbered harder, just the way a kid will, and says nothing else. I wished I hadn't set them flat irons on that door, for it come to me all at once that even if Hank has turned into a corpse, I ain't got any right to keep him in that cistern. Just then, old Miss Rogers, which is one of my neighbors, comes by while Elmira is shaking me and yelling out what did I mean and how did it happen and had I saw it and where was Hank's corpse and Miss Rogers. Miss Rogers, she says, what's Danny been doing now, Elmira, me being always up to something. Elmira, she turned around and seen her and she gives a whoop and then hollers out, Hank is dead and throws her apron over her head and says right down in the path and boo-hoos like a baby. And I bellas louder. Miss Rogers, she never waited to ask nothing more. She seen she had a piece of news and she's bound to be the first to spread it like they is always a lot of women wants to be in them country towns. She runs right across the road to where the Alexanderses lived Miss Alexander, she seen her coming and unhooked the screen door, and Miss Rogers, she hollers out before she reached the porch, Hank Walters is dead! And then she went footing it up the street. There was a black plume on her bonnet, which nodded the same as on her hearse, and she was into and out of seven front yards in five minutes. Miss Alexander, she runs across the street to where we was, and she kneels down and puts her arm around Elmira, which was still rocking back and forth in the path, and she says, How do you know she's dead, Elmira? I, how do you know he's dead, for that matter? I've seen him not more than an hour ago. Danny's seen it all, says Elmira. Miss Alexander turned to me and wants to know what happened and how it happened and where it happened, but I don't want to say nothing about that cistern. So I busts out bellering, pressure never, and I says, he was drunk, and he come home drunk, and he done it then, and that's how he done it, I says. And you seen him, she says. I nodded. Where is she? Where is he, for that matter, says she and Elmira, both to once. But I was scared to say nothing about that there sister, and so I just bawled some more. Was it in the blacksmith shop, says Miss Alexander. I nodded my head again and let it throw at that. Is he in there now, asked Miss Alexander. I nodded again. I hadn't meant to give out no untrue stories, but a kid will always tell a lie, not meaning to tell one if you sort of 
invite him with questions like that and get him scared the way you're acting. Besides, I says to myself, so long as Hank has turned into a corpse and that makes him dead, what's the difference whether he's in the blacksmith shop or not? For I hadn't had any plain idea of being such a little kid that a corpse meant to be dead, and wasn't sure what being dead was like neither, except they had funerals over you then. I know being a corpse must be some sort of big disadvantage, from the way Elmira always says keep away from that system door or I'll be one. But if there was going to be a funeral in our house, I'd feel kind of important, too. They didn't have them every day in our town, and we had never had one of our own. So, Miss Alexander, she led Elmira into the house, both a-crying, and Miss Alexander trying to comfort her and me a-tagging along behind holding on to Elmira's skirts and sniffling into them. And in a few minutes, all them women Miss Rogers had told come filing into that room, one at a time, looking sad. Only old Miss Primrose, she was awful late getting there because she stopped to put on her bonnet she always wore to funerals with a black Paris lace on it her cousin Aunt Minty White had sent her from Chicago. When they found out Hank had come home with liquor in him and done it himself, they was all excited, and they all crowds around me and asks me how, except two as is holding on to Elmira's hands, which sets moaning in a chair. And they all asked me questions as to what I seen him do, which if they hadn't, I wouldn't have told them the lies I did, but they egged me on to it. Says one woman, Danny, you seen him do it in the blacksmith shop. I nodded. But how did he get... And, sings out another woman, the door was locked on the outside with a padlock just now when I come by. He couldn't have killed himself in there and locked the door on the outside. I didn't see how he could have done that, him, done that myself, so I began to bawl again and said nothing at all. He must have crawled through that little side window, says another one. It was open when I come by, if the door was locked. Did you see him crawl through the little side window, Danny? I nodded. There wasn't nothing else for me to do. But you ain't tall enough to look through that there window, says another one to me. How could you see into that shop, Danny? I didn't know. So I didn't say nothing at all. I just sniffled. There is a stall box right in under that window, says another one. Danny must have clumb onto that stall box and looked in after he seen Hank come down the road and crawl through the window. Did you scramble onto the stall box and look in, Danny? And I just nodded again. And what was it you seen him do? How did he kill himself, they all asked to once. I didn't know, so I just bellows and boo-hoos some more. Things was getting past anything I could see the way out of. He might have hung himself to one of the iron rings in the gists above the forge, says another woman. He clumb onto the forge to tie the rope to one of them rings, and he tied the other end round his neck, and then he stepped off from the forge. Was that how he done it, Danny? I nodded, and then I bellowed louder than ever. I knowed Hank was down there in that cistern, a corpse, and a mighty wet corpse all this time, but they kind of got me to thinking maybe he was hanging out in the shop by the forge too.
and I guessed I'd better stick to the shop story, not wanting to say nothing about that sister no sooner than I could help it. Pretty soon, one woman says, kind of shivery, I don't want to have the job of opening the door of that blacksmith shop first one. And they all kind of shivered then and looked at Elmira. They says to let some of the men open it. And Miss Alexander, she says she'll run home and tell her husband right off. And all the time Elmira is moaning in that chair, one woman says Elmira ought to have a cup of tea, which she'll lay off her bonnet and go to the kitchen and make it for her. But Elmira says no, she can't bear to think of tea with poor Henry hanging out there in the shop. But she was kind of enjoying all that fuss being made over her, too. And all the other woman says, Poor thing. But all the same, they was mad she said she didn't want any tea. For they all wanted some and didn't feel free without she took it, too. Which she said she would after they'd coaxed a while and made her see her duty. So they all goes out to the kitchen bringing along some of the best room chairs, Elmira coming to, and me tagging along behind, and the first thing they noticed was them flat irons on top of the cistern door. Miss Primrose, she says, that looks funny. But another woman speaks up and says, Danny must have been playing with them while Elmira was over town. She says, was you playing they was horses, Danny? I was feeling considerable like a liar by this time. But I says I was playing horses with them, for I couldn't see no use in hurrying things up. I was bound to get a lambin' pretty soon anyhow. When I was a kid, I could always bet on that. So they picks up the flat irons, and they picks them up. As they picks them up, they come a splashing noise in the cistern. I thinks to myself, Hank's corpse will be out here in a minute. One woman, she says, Goodness gracious sakes alive, what's that, Elmira? Elmira says that cistern is mighty full of fish, and there is some great big ones in there, and it must be some of them uh, flopping around, which if they hadn't been all worked up and taken all at once and thinking all of Hank's body hanging out there in the blacksmith's shop, they might have suspicioned something, for that flopping kept up steady, and a lot of splashing, too. I maybe ought to mention sooner it had been a dry summer, and there was only three or four feet of water in our cistern, and Hank wasn't in scarcely up to his big hairy chest. So when Elmira says the cistern is full of fish, that woman opens the trap door and looks in. Hank thinks it's Elmira come to get him out. He allows he'll keep quiet in there and make believe he is drowned and give her a good scare and make her sorry for him. But when the cistern door is open, he hears a lot of clacking tongues all of a sudden like there was a hen convention on. He allows she has told some of the neighbors, and he'll scare them too. So Hank, he laid low. And the woman as looks in sees nothing, for it's as dark down there as the insides of the whale what swallowed Noah. But she leaves the door open and goes on a making tea, and they ain't scarcely a sound from that cistern, only little ripply noises, like it might have been fish. Pretty soon, a woman says, It has drawed, Elmira. Won't you have a cup? Elmira, she kicked some more, but she took her, and each woman took her, and one woman, a sippin' of her, and she says, The departed had his good pints, Elmira. 
which was the best thing had been said of Hank in that town for years and years. Old Miss Primrose, she always prided herself on being honest no matter what come, and she ups and says, I don't believe in no hypocritics at a time like this, no more no other time. The departed one is, ah, the departed was no good, and the whole town knowed it, and Elmira ought to feel like it's good riddance of bad rubbish, and them is my sentiments, and the sentiments of rightfulness. All the other woman sings out, Oh, why, Miss Primrose, I never. And they seemed awful shocked. But down in underneath, more of them agreed than let on. Elmira, she wiped her eyes and she said, Henry and me has had our troubles. There ain't any use in denying that, Miss Primrose. It has often been give and take between us and betwixt us. And the whole town knows he has lifted his hand again me more than once. But I always stood up to Henry, and I fit him back free and fair and open. I give him as good as he sent on this here earth, and I ain't the one to carry no animosities beyond the grave. I forgive Hank all the orneriness he done me, and there was a lot of it as is becoming unto a church member, which he never was. And all the women but Miss Primrose, they said, Elmira Appleton, you have got a Christian spirit, which done her a heap of good, and she cried considerable harder, leaking out tears as fast as she poured tea in. Each one on em tries to find out something good to say about Hank, only there wasn't much they could say. And Hank in that their sister are listening to every word of it. Miss Rogers, she says, Afore he took to drinking like a fish, Hank Walters was as likely looking a young fella as I ever see. Miss White, she says, Well, Hank, he never was a stingy man, no how. Often and often, White has told me about seeing Hank after he'd sold a piece of land, treating the whole town down in Nolan's barroom just as come-easy-go-easy as if it wasn't money he ought to paid his honest debts with. They sat there that way, telling of what good pints they could think of for ten minutes, and Hank, uh, hearing it and getting madder and madder all the time. The general opinion was that Hank was no good, and was better done for, and no matter what they said, them feelings kept sticking out through the words. By and by, Tom Alexander come busting into the house, and his wife, Miss Alexander, was with him. "'What's the matter with you all folks?' he says. There ain't nobody hanging in that there blacksmith shop. I broke the door down and went in, and it was empty. Then there was a pretty how-to-do, and they all sings out, Where's the cops? And some thinks maybe someone has cut it down and took it away, and all gabbles to once. But for a minute, no one thinks maybe little Danny has been egged on to tell lies. Little Danny ain't saying a word. But Elmira, she grabs me. And she shakes me, and she says, You little liar, you, what do you mean by that tale you told? I think that lambing is about due now. But whilst all eyes is turned on me and Elmira, there comes a voice from that sister. It is Hank's voice, and he sings out, Tom Alexander, is that you? 
some of the women scream for some thinks it is Hank's ghost. But one woman says, one one woman says, what would a ghost be doing in a cistern? Tom Alexander, he laughs and he says, what in blazes you want to jump in there for, Hank? You darn idiot, says Hank. You quit mocking me and get a ladder, and when I get out in here, I'll learn you to ask what I, why did I want to jump in here for. You never seen the day you could do it, says Tom Alexander, meaning the day he could lick him. And if you feel that way about it, you can stay there for all of me. I guess a little water won't hurt you none. And he left the house. Elmira, sings out Hank, mad and bossy, you go get me a ladder. But Elmira, her temper riz up too all of a sudden. Don't you dare order me around like I was the dirt under your feet, Henry Walters, she says. At that, Hank fairly roared he was so mad. He says, Elmira, when I get out in here, I'll give you what you won't forget in a hurry. I hear you are forgiving me and a weeping over me, and I won't be forgive nor weeped over by no one. You go and get that ladder. But Elmira only answers, You wasn't sober when you fell into there, Henry Walters. And now you can just stay in there till you get a better temper on you. And all the women says, That's right, Elmira. Spunk up to it. There was considerable splashing around in the water for a couple of minutes. And then, all of a sudden, a live fish come a whirling out of that hole, which he had catched it with his hands. It was a big bullhead, and its whiskers around that mouth was stiffened into spikes, and it lands kerplump into Miss Rogers' lap, a wiggling, and it kind of horns her on the hands, and she is that surprised she faints. Miss Primrose, she gets up and pushes that fish back into the cistern with her foot from the floor it had fell, and she says, right decided, Elmira Walters, that was Elmira Appleton, if you let Hank out in that cistern before he has signed the pledge and promised to jine the church, you're a bigger fool than I take you to be. A woman has got to make a stand. With that, she marches out in our house. Then all the women sings out, Send for Brother Cartwright! Send for Brother Cartwright! And they, skint, sent, and they sent me scooting across town to get him quick, which he was the preacher of the Baptist church and lived next to it. I, and I hadn't got no lambing yet.